time to run out there and shake somebody's hand. I feel like I missed something. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We're glad you're with us this morning. Today we're continuing our series uh, through the book of James. Uh, James is writing to Christians who are facing persecution. They've been facing trials and temptations. And uh, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about trials and why difficult circumstances um, happen in our lives. In verses 1 through 4 of the first chapter of James, we saw that the end result of our trials is joy. Joy because it produces in us the ability to endure our circumstances. And then in verse 5, we saw that um, God, um, all we have to do is ask God for wisdom uh, so we can understand the benefit of our trials. And so uh, all we have to do is ask God. We need, we need wisdom to understand why these trials happen. But we saw in verses 6 through 8 that wisdom was something that was conditional. Wisdom is given to us only if we are single-minded in our desire to know God. In other words, if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we cannot have godly wisdom. Verses 9 through 11 give a practical application uh, for dealing with different forms of trials. And as we come to verse 12 this morning, um, James is going to finish talking about trials. And he says that there's a future reward if we can just remain steadfast through our trials. So if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to uh, James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin looking at uh, verse 12. You can also find this verse on the insert on the inside of your program. But let's read James chapter 1, verse 12 together. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God promises that the man that remains steadfast under his trial will be blessed. Isn't that a great promise? James is not offering some kind of a hopeful idea. He's not issuing some kind of a command here. There's no hidden agenda in this passage. It is just a simple statement of fact. That if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you remain steadfast as you face your trials you're going to be blessed with the crown of life. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. It is going to happen. The promise is given with the same force that Jesus uses when he gives us the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount if in, in Matthew chapter 5. It's the same kind of a blessing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And they said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those are promises. They're guaranteed. They're, they're going to happen. And James says here in verse 12 that blessed are those who persevere, who are steadfast under trials, because they are going to receive the crown of life. This is a future reward that we have to look forward to, and it's a promise. You know, when I'm going through a trial or when I'm going through a difficult uh, circumstance in my life, this verse can be such an encouragement because it's a reminder that the things that I'm going through right now are temporary. The things that happen to us in this life, the trials and the temptations and the tribulations, the things that are working against us are temporary. And if I can just remain steadfast and purposeful underneath my trial, the hope that I have is that I'm going to have the crown of life. 
And I need to be reminded that I can find joy in my trials. I can find strength and I can find godly wisdom and that I have a future hope if I can persevere through my trials. One of the first questions I ask someone when I'm talking to them about a difficult life circumstance or as we're talking through uh, maybe a, a trial or you know, something that's happening in our life, one of my first questions to ask is, you know, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, having a relationship with Jesus Christ is foundational, being able to endure through our trials. And if I think they have a relationship with Christ, I'll ask them, how have they been, how have they been growing in their faith? Have you been growing in your faith? Are you in God's word? And I ask these questions not so that I can encourage them that God's going to use all things that happen to you and all those things that are happening are going to be for, you know, for the good of him that has good promises. And so I, I don't ask that question in a sense that I'm just encouraging that there's something good. But I want to encourage them that, the, that there's a joy and a wisdom and a future hope that we have as we endure our difficult circumstances. It gives me an opportunity to pray for them and encourage them and for us to encourage one another. When I'm going through a difficult trial, I like to, I like to share that with other people so that they can pray for me and so that we can remind each other of all these great promises that are just ours to claim through Scripture. Through scripture. You know, if we have a, a relationship with Christ, we can rest secure in the fact that by remaining steadfast, we're going to have the crown of life. God is with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I love Psalm 23. He says he's not waiting for us on the other side. God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. I can fear no evil because he is with me. God is with us. He strengthens us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And as we remain steadfast, we have the promise of this future glory that is going to be ours. God is faithful. We can trust him. And he has given us a promise for perseverance. As we move from verse 12 to verse 13, James is going to shift from talking about trials to talking about temptations. In fact, James writes in verse 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own evil desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Circle the word uh, tempted in that verse. And then the word trial in verse 12. James talks about trials in verse 12, and then he shifts and starts to talk about temptations in, in verse 13. And I think, I think that God uses James in It puts these two words so close together in this passage for a reason because our trials and our temptations have the same effect on us. They can have the exact same effect on us, but there's a major difference between a trial and a temptation, and it's the source for where the difficulty is coming from. Trials and temptations can have the same effect. The difference between the two is the source from which they come from. And if we're going to understand how to overcome our trials, we need to understand that Uh, what a temptation is. The word for trial is the same as the word for temptation. It's the same root word, and James interprets them differently here because he wants to make a point about the source of our difficulty. We're no longer talking about trials. We're now talking about temptations. Trials are sufferings or things that happen to us that test us. They, They try us. But a temptation is a suffering that happens because we pursue these pleasures which tend to lead us to evil and cause us difficulties. Trials and temptations have the same root form. They can have the same effect on each other, but they are completely 
opposite. It looks something like this. A trial is something that comes at us from the outside and affects us internally. You know, if I'm driving and I, somebody hits me and I have a car accident, it's a trial. It happened to me. If I come in in the morning and I've got a lot to do and I sit down at my computer and the network's down and I can't print anything, that's a trial. It's something that's happening to me that's stirring something up on me on the inside. Trials come from the outside and they affect us internally. God allows those. Temptations are something that comes from the inside and they work out. God allows those too. A temptation is something that happens from the inside that I act on that will cause me some degree of difficulty or will cause some kind of a problem in my life. Trials and temptations have their source rooted in two different areas. One's external and one's internal. A trial brings about life. As we go through our trials, you know, that's what that passage in James 1.12 says. It brings about, as we persevere and we're steadfast in that, we're guaranteed the crown of life. Our trials refine us. They hone us. And if we're steadfast, we persevere through those, we have the hope of the crown of life. But a temptation that we see from verse 13 is something that is birthed from the inside. It leads us to sin, and it results in death. And so we can be going through the same difficulty, or with, we can be going through a difficulty, or we can be having this issue in our life, but the source of it is going to bring either life or death, depending upon whether it's an internal or an external kind of an issue. And a trial brings maturity. You know, through our trials, we grow in God. God refines us. We can find joy. Um, we uh, mature in our faith. And so trials happen to us, and they, they, they help us to grow and we become more mature. But when temptations happen, it leads to sin. And so trials are something that happen from the outside as we endure them, as we go through them. It leads us to maturity. As we face these different temptations and these desires lead us away and we're enticed by them, they lead to sin. So we have the same circumstances that can be going on in our life, but it is important to understand the source for where these difficulties are coming from. Trials and temptations have the same effect. God allows them both to happen, but the source and the result couldn't be further apart. That distinction is so important because if we are going to overcome temptation, if we're going to know when to run, we need to recognize and own up to and understand our desires and what motivates us and motivates our behavior. There's a game that people like to play. It's, uh, it's called blame shifting. It's an old game that goes all the way back to the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve in the garden. God created Adam. He put him in the garden. He said, work it, till it, rule over it. Eat anything you want, but don't eat from the tree of life. And so then God looked down, everything was good, but then he saw Adam, and Adam was by himself, and it says that it was not good for Adam to be alone, so he did what? He created Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden together. They're on the midst of their honeymoon. They're have everything, all of their desires are met. They're having a great time. They have everything that they could possibly want, including walking in God's presence. I mean, it was a complete picture of wholeness. And then Satan shows up, and he tempts Eve to eat the fruit. And then she eats it, and then she takes it to Adam. And Adam knew it was a forbidden fruit, but he ate it anyway. And so here we have Adam and Eve sitting there eating fruit that they shouldn't be eating, and then God shows up, 
And in their panic, Adam and Eve did what? They ran and they hid. God sees them hiding and he looks over and goes, what are you doing? Adam looks up and he says, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat that fruit? And boom, they're caught. You see what's happening here? Adam would then start to shift the blame. Adam would say, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. She tempted me. The woman that you gave to me tempted me. So he blames Eve. He blames God. He just tries to completely shift all the responsibility to God. Adam tries to shift that blame for tempting him with Eve. But the Bible makes it clear that God does not tempt us. He allows it, but he does not tempt us. That passage in verse 13 that we just looked at said that, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being what? That I am being tempted by God. God does not tempt people to sin. God does not tempt people to do evil. God cannot be tempted by evil. He is perfect and flawless and holy and righteous and everything that we are not. God does not tempt people to do evil. Our actions and the behaviors that we have adopted and the things that we think are a reflection of what we believe and the things that are going on in our own hearts and minds. That's why our thought life is so important. Romans 12, Romans 12 1 says that we're to be renewed, we're to be transformed by the, by the renewing of our mind. Our thought process is so important. Sin always starts on the inside with us. In verse 14, it said that each person is tempted when they're what? When they're lured and enticed by their own desire. God does not tempt people to sin. But what he does do, he allows it. He doesn't tempt us to do it. But what he does do is he provides a way of escape. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul writes this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will, what? Provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. Underline those words, provide the way of escape. God allows us to be tempted, but he also gives us a way out. It's funny because each one of us faces difficulties in life and and uh, we, we have things going on in our life or temptations that are going on in our life and, and there's struggles and we think that we're the only one having the problem. You know, we think that the things that have happened to us have happened to nobody else. You know, we have difficulty confessing to somebody else because we don't want them to know, oh man, what we did. You know, there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to everybody else. I was talking to uh, the men at our men's breakfast uh, yesterday, and we were talking about this issue of uh, temptation. And uh, we came to the conclusion at uh, our table that, um, that there's, uh, there's two types of men. There's men that will admit that they have internal struggles and that they have difficulty guarding their eyes. There's those types of guys. And then there's liars. 
There's no temptation that's overtaken us. That's not common to man. Men, we need to guard our eyes. God has created women to be beautiful. If you see it, fine. Don't look twice. Guard your eyes. Find some men around you. Say, pray for me in this. We need to, we need to help each other to work through these issues. There's nothing that you're facing that is not common to every single other man in this room. The difference is the source of the temptation and what are you going to do with it and how are you going to handle it. I have five uh, wonderful daughters. I have a beautiful wife. And so I was talking to my wife uh, this past week about temptations. And so I asked her, I said, well, what are some of the temptations that women face? And she said, well, go get a pen and a paper. <laughs> There's no temptation that is that you are experiencing that is not common to others. But God provides a way of escape. Praise God for that, right? Every temptation that we face, God provides a way of escape. Every single one of us has the ability to overcome a temptation because God provides us all a way of escape. So what does that look like? How do we overcome our temptations? James says this, uh, beginning in verse 16. This is on the uh, back of your insert. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's look at verse 16 for just a moment. James writes this, Don't be deceived, brothers. You know, this is a great passage to memorize. There's, there's seven words in this passage. If you're using, uh, how many of you are using scripture typer? You go to our website, uh, go down to our past memory verses, and uh, you can click an application if you've got on your cell phone, your computer, anything that you're using electronically. And uh, we have a Springbrook Community Church um, um, uh, scripture memory verse set up. We have, uh, we have 20 people in that group right now. And uh, you can, we have all of our past memory verses of Springbrook loaded in there, and so you can go through there and, and memorize those. Or This is a verse that you can add to your own collection. This is a great verse to memorize because if we're going to overcome temptations, it starts with this issue, not being deceived. James is not making a casual comment here. This is just not some kind of a generic uh, command. James is speaking into real-life situations that believers are currently facing. And when he says these words with the force that he's saying, he says to them, you are being deceived right now. Stop it. Don't be deceived. And how do we get deceived? We get deceived about the goodness of God when we don't believe that he knows what's best and that he has our best interest in mind. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Satan showed up, and he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan implied to Eve that God was doing a bad thing by withholding this fruit from her, and she ate it. And then Adam fell in his leadership responsibility, and his desire dragged him away. He ate it. He sinned, and that sin has given birth to death. Instead of looking at all the fruit that they could have eaten, they chose to look at the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. They should have been looking at all the other good fruits that there were to eat. 
They were deceived and they lost sight of God's good and perfect gifts and they were overcome by their temptations. And we need to make sure that we are not deceived in that same way. If we are going to overcome our our temptations, it starts by understanding that this world will deceive us and we need to guard ourselves. Adam and Eve had the need for food. You know, it was a good desire that they had to eat food. We all need to eat. They had a desire to eat food together, which is a great thing. When everybody sits down at the dinner table and eats together, that's a good thing. So Adam and Eve ate together, good thing. They could have eaten any fruit in the garden that would have been a good thing, but they ate the fruit that they were told not to eat, and so that was not good. It was an outward act of obedience. It was a temptation that they were enticed by that led to sin, which now leads to death. Thanks to Adam and Eve, that one decision has affected us all. Thank God for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But the bottom line is this. When we doubt God, and when we doubt God's best for us, when we lose sight of God's best for us, that's when we get in trouble. There are needs that we all have that, if we're not careful, we'll be led away with. And we can't blame others for them. It was almost like Adam looked over at God and said, man, if you hadn't done this, I'd still be eating, I'd be in the garden eating bananas and strawberries and blueberries, you know. He tried to shift the blame to God. He didn't own up to his own responsibility. He was deceived, and that led them down a path of sinfulness and death. You know, there are desires that we have that are good, but it's what we do with those desires that uh, are, can potentially be a problem. You know, eating an Oreo is good. Eating a two-pound bag of Oreos, probably not so good. <laughs> we had our men's breakfast yesterday, and I'm telling you guys, Bacon, that's good. Bacon's a good thing. But if I had gone up to the trough there and taken the whole 10 pounds myself and not left any for anybody else, that probably would have been good. I was talking to one of the guys after the breakfast about uh, just how to manage anger. He said, you know, we need, a, we need an, an anger app, one that monitors our blood pressure, but if we're not active, then it kind of beeps us, and so there might be something going on. Or I like the idea of having a, an overeating app that kind of measures... How many times your hands are eating with the fork, and if you're not moving, you know, it's like buzzes you. It says, hey, dude, you know, you, you've lifted that fork a hundred times. It's time to stop. <laughs> you know, we have that. We have an app. It's called the Holy Spirit. You know, when we are secure in who we are in Christ, it says the Holy Spirit indwells in us, and we just need to listen to and pay attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings. We all know what we need to do. You know, Bill... Uh, Thrasher wrote a book, uh, Finding Annoying God's Will for Your Life, and one of the premises of the book is, is that we all know what's right and wrong. What we really need is we need to ask God to, to increase our faith, to give us a fresh uh, outpouring of His Spirit so we can be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. We've all got that Holy Spirit app. That's a good, that's, I wonder if they probably already got one of those out there. Don't they? You know, work is a good thing. Kids' sports are a good thing. But if we don't make time, for biblical community. If we don't make time for uh, relationships with Christ and with God and with our family or friends, you know, that's not good. Any desire that we have that entices us and pulls us away is going to lead us to sin and lead to death. You know what? You know something else that's good? Sex. Sex is good when it's between a married man and a married woman. You know, sex is good in the context of marriage. Now, the last service... uh, uh, I might have said sex is good outside of marriage. If you heard that, that's not true. <laughs> sex is a great thing, you know, in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. I don't care what the world tells us about what marriage is. 
They can try to define that until the cows come home. It doesn't really matter. I don't care what the world says about sex. God has a standard for it, and that's what we need to live to. And Satan is just so distorted. Marriage and God's good and perfect gift that you almost have to work really hard just to find somebody that has not been deceived in that area. You know, Pastor Dan forwarded me an article last week, and these are issues that he and I talk have to talk through with different people, you know, just constantly. And so we're constantly trying to keep sharp on just how to how to address those issues culturally because our culture is moving away from God's standards at light speed in every area. But this area of marriage and sex specifically is one that just keeps coming up more and more uh, frequently. In the article he forwarded me, it says this, Christians are more influenced by the culture than they are by the teachings of Scripture or the church. Peter Spring, who is the Senior Fellow for Policy Studies at Family Research Council, uh, told the Christian Post that according to the 2014 State, the State of Dating in America report, which was published last year by Christian Magazine, the results were that 61% of Christians said that it would be okay to have sex before they got married. 56% said that it would be appropriate to move into someone after dating for an extended time just to check it out to make sure it was going to work. 56% of people that claim to be Christians are stating these things. 35% said that while it would be nice to marry someone of the same faith, it's not required. Rachel Sussman is a licensed therapist, a relationship expert. She agreed with Sprague and said that even those who consider themselves strong Christians make an extremely higher number than expected uh, number of unbiblical decisions about sex and about marriage. She goes on to say that in many ways, churches are fighting an uphill battle because this is our nature. This is our nature. Left to ourselves, that is our nature. You know, sin has entered into the world. And we all have to contend with that and deal with that. We live in a fallen, broken world that will deceive us, that will mislead us. And we cannot allow the world to entice us to be carried away by unhealthy desires. Instead, we need to focus on the good gifts that God gives us. We need to focus on the freedom that we have as a part of His design and not be deceived into thinking that there is something better. In verse 17, it says that, God gives us good gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above. So not only does God give good gifts, but all the gifts that are good come from God. You can't get a good gift in this life unless it comes from God. And, and thanks be to God for good gifts because those gifts enable us to overcome our temptations. Just like Adam and Eve were dis, dis, uh, distracted. Uh, we can get distracted. You know, keep your eye on the good fruit don't give in to the forbidden, for, don't give in to the forbidden fruit. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so God just doesn't give a gift. He doesn't just give a gift. Gifts are coming down from the Father of lights. Gifts are constantly coming down. It's not like, hey, I gave you a gift last week. You should be grateful. Shut up. Gifts are constantly flowing from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation due to change. God is steadfast and perfect and timeless 
and is constantly showering us with good gifts from above. He doesn't stop and say, I already gave it the offer, man, hit the road. He doesn't say, I gave you something last week, you got your quota. God is constantly showering us with good gifts. And if we can focus on that, it enables us to overcome our temptations. He gave in the past, he continues to give in the present, and because he is unchanging, you can be assured that he will always be a giving God. And if we can focus on that and not be deceived by the world and focus on God's good gifts, that enables us to overcome our temptations. But the, gift, the best gift that God gave, we see in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God has given us the gift of Jesus Christ. According to his plan, according to his power, According to his purposes, we have the greatest and perfect gift through Jesus Christ. We have the assurance that we are saved. We have been chosen as his first fruit. We are to experience the the joy of having a relationship with Christ so that we can share that with others. The first fruits is the first gathering. As a result of this gathering, we have the opportunity to influence the people around us. We have been chosen to be his first fruits that through our relationship with him, we we might have the power and the ability to overcome our temptations. God has moved through Jesus Christ to save the world. And God's plan is to work through each of us. I've got, uh, we had a a dog uh, named Chloe. It was a beagle we had for 14 years. We moved up to Illinois and uh, we had to, bring it indoors because of the cold. It was an outdoor dog, but we brought it indoors. And I don't think that dog was in the house more than a couple of weeks before uh, it could smell our trash. You know, anybody got a beagle? Man, those beagles, they can smell everything there is to smell. <laughs> that poor dog died. We miss her so much. <clears throat> our kitchen floor has just never been as clean. That dog would get into that trash can every day. <laughs> it was in its nature to want to get in that trash can. And it didn't matter... You know, what I did to try to train it to do otherwise. I read up on the Internet. I was talking to people. I, I tried rubbing its nose in there. I tried making sure it was hungry or I, I fed it so it wasn't getting hungry. And no matter what I did, that dog would get in the trash. And it was so funny to watch because it was so in her nature. And she knew she was going to get in trouble, too. That was the sad part because we'd come home. If I did not see the dog at the door, then I knew the trash was out. I mean, because she, she knew she was going to get in trouble. But that dog was just... Condition. I don't know. She just would not give up on that trash. I would. I would walk out of the kitchen, and I'd peek around the corner. That dog would be sitting there and looking sideways, waiting for me to leave the kitchen. And the second I went around that corner, boom, she was on that door. I finally ended up having to get a uh, little taller lock. I had to lock the door uh, to keep her from getting into the trash can. But it was in that dog's nature to do something that it wasn't supposed to do. And I just couldn't break that. And you know what? It's in our nature too. It's our nature to do the things that we don't want to do. But you know what? We have the ability to make a choice. That dog didn't. That dog was enslaved, man. It, it just gave into it. But that's not the case with us. We have the ability to make a choice not to give in to our temptations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, If anyone is in Christ, he's what? He is a new creation. The old has what? It has passed away. 
behold, the new has come. As a result of who we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. We don't have to give in to our temptations. All we have to do is keep our eyes focused on who we are in Christ. The Bible says that when we come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we receive power. That's what I love about Acts 1.8. I love the word power. It's like dynamite. It's explosive power that comes into us to accomplish his plans for us. And we can tap into and utilize that power to make those decisions that we know we need to make. We have the ability to overcome those desires that lead us to evil, that lead to sin, that lead to death. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians in chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about the Christian life and how to live the Christian life and behaviors about the Christian life. He writes a lot about the Christian life. And then when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. He summarizes everything about the Christian life. He says, brothers, we ask you, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that you that you walk that from what you have received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, you need to keep doing it. We urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that if you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been instructed. We have a standard. There are behaviors. There's decisions. There's there's thought processes. There's there's ways that, that we have been instructed and taught that we ought to walk to please God. You know, the Christian life is not reduced to the point that we make a decision for Christ and then we get to live life on our own standards. So many times we do a great job helping people to understand their need for Christ, but we don't necessarily do a good job with helping people on how to walk a life that we ought to walk to please God. The Christian life begins at the point that we understand our need for a relationship with Christ. We enter into a relationship. We become Christ's followers But the idea is is that we're going to follow him for the rest of our lives. Jesus is not just our Lord, he's our Savior. And as Lord, he speaks into how we ought to walk. And our standard for how we live our lives and how we measure what is right and wrong comes from his word. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for training, so that the man of God can, can be found approved. And so we need to allow God's word to transform how we think. If we're going to overcome our temptations, we've got to keep our eye on who Christ is. We need to be able to celebrate those good and pleasing and perfect gifts that that God has for us. It's only then can we truly overcome our temptations. You know, prior to being a Christian, there was a lot of different things I have tried. There's a lot of things I've tried to do on my own. There are things that we just we just cannot do apart from Christ. And some of you this morning might be facing temptations. Maybe there's some dire desires that you have, you know, inside yourself that you're struggling with, or maybe there's some behaviors or things that you've been kind of thinking you might, you might feel guilty about. I just encourage you, if, if God is prompting you to make a change, make it, because that change is going to lead to life. Don't be deceived by the world's understanding of what's right and wrong. Be rooted in God's word. Find your security and your hope in there. The body's gone. It's in heaven. We celebrated that at Easter. And that's where our 
hope lives. And so it's my prayer for each of us this morning that as we continue through this series on James, that our lives would be transformed, that we wouldn't just be hearing the word but doers. It's my prayer for each of us that, that God would give us the strength and the ability to overcome the temptations that we all face and that we'd be able to confess those to one another and, and encourage one another and spur one another on towards faith and good deeds. The opportunity that we have to come together this morning, this is a gift. God has showered us with a gift, the ability to come and worship God and to hear his word proclaimed and to encourage one another and, and be together. This is a gift, and, and God uses these as, as an opportunity to help us shed those areas of our life that need to be shed. So that's my prayer for each of us this morning, that we'd be able to draw closer to God in understanding what his will, his good and perfect uh, will is for our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for this uh, day you've given us today. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have had uh, to be here together this morning uh, to encourage one another and to worship you. And God, I just pray that you would, uh, as Romans 12 says, that you would transform us by the, renew our minds by the way we think. And there are desires that are internal to each of us that uh, if we are enticed or if we are deceived, uh, we can be led astray, uh, we can be led into sin. Leads to death, and, and you allow those things to happen. But God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Uh, God, strengthen our faith. Help us to be able to see you more clearly, so that we can live a life out that we ought to walk in that's pleasing to you. And so, God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, for the opportunity we've had to uh, just be uh, encouraged this morning. And uh, God, I pray that you just continue to draw each of us close to yourself in Christ's name.